Hey, Foreplay listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen up, we've got some tea, and you all are going to be obsessed. We spoke with the Abercrombie team, and they told us that they were going to launch a wedding shop. Well, we lost it, because as you know, we are both getting ready to get Abercrombie and Hitched. The whole vibe of Abercrombie these days is clothes you'd wear for a perfect long weekend, and all their customers were like, hey, we spend long weekends traveling for weddings these days, and then Abercrombie was like, we love that. Let us just give you everything you could ever possibly want and love to wear for all things wedding. So they did. It has everything. Tons of dresses, jumpsuits, pants, swimsuits, pajamas, pantsuits, and all perfectly curated for different events, bachelorettes, brunches, showers, ceremonies as a guest and ceremonies as a bride, reception, and even honeymoon. It is incredible. Check out the Abercrombie Wedding Shop on Abercrombie.com. Go shop it now. Foreplay is always presented by Barstool Sports. It's Riggs and Trent. Trent Daddy. What's up? What's going on? Not much. Your voice is coming in and out. You're a little squeaky, but uh, I'm a little squeaky. Happy to be back. I pretty much lose my voice every weekend. Yeah, you, I mean you're going hard at this point. You're, I, you're drinking fun. Drinking is more fun than not drinking rigs. That's true. That's correct. We're going to put that on a shirt. Everyone that's wondering, no way. We just don't know the design yet. There's been many theories. One of them is to just s- screenshot the tweet. I don't love that. You know what just came to my head, and this is the first time I've heard about this shirt idea. Okay. You know the vote for Pedro shirts from Napoleon Dynamite? Yep. I think you just do it in that font. You, you think put it so? on a fucking shirt. There's been talk of doing it in like the Webster Dictionary definition font so that it's like a fact. Yep, I like that too. So anyways. You and T-shirt got to figure that out. Anyways, big weekend was in Boston. Uh, we were up there for Heal Our Heroes, our buddy Captain Cons from Zero Blog 30 fame. We played a little golf, which we're going to get into. Had a nice seven, six and a half, seven hour drive back of what's supposed to be three and a half hours <laughs> last night because of traffic. However, the beauty of when I got back, I had- Listen up, we've got some tea and you all are going to be obsessed. We spoke with the Abercrombie team and they told us that they were going to launch a wedding shop. Well, we lost it because as you know, we are both getting ready to get Abercrombie and Hitched. The whole vibe of Abercrombie these days is clothes you'd wear for a perfect long weekend, and all their customers were like, hey, we spend long weekends traveling for weddings these days, and then Abercrombie was like, we love that. Let us just give you everything you could ever possibly want and love to wear for all things wedding. So they did. It has everything. Tons of dresses, jumpsuits, pants, swimsuits, pajamas, pantsuits, and all perfectly curated for different events, bachelorettes, brunches, showers, ceremonies as a guest and ceremonies as a bride, reception, and even honeymoon. It is incredible. Check out the Abercrombie Wedding Shop on Abercrombie.com. Go shop it now. This week, Daddy? Yep. Boys are down uh, near Dallas. Yeah. Did you want to talk about you playing Brett in Boston? That's true. I did. I wanted to talk about <laughs> office manager Brett. Got uh, He got a little liquid courage on Friday night. We should preface, Brett's a pretty good golfer, yes? Not a bad player. He Did he play golf at Northeastern? Am I, do I have that mistaken? So I believe that they have uh, like yeah like a club golf team Okay, that's pretty decent there at Northeastern. I believe he played on that a little bit. Because he's got the Northeastern bag around the office. It's the bag that we took on Times Square. It's the bag we took for Spring Break Boys. It's very it's an infamous bag at this point. It's one of the more famous golf bags there is because it's in all, it's just the, Brett's the only person that left his golf bag here at the office forever. Yeah, so whenever we shoot a video, we grab it like, we need clubs, we're just going to take this. Swing his clubs out on the concrete, out on top. 
Times Square. We <laughs> yeah. just kind of fuck with his shit all the time. But the trade-off there is you get your bag in Times Square or Time Magazine. Everyone's always like, oh, I didn't know you and Trent played golf at Northeastern. Like, no, we didn't. It's office manager, Brett. So anyways, not a bad golfer. And, um, you know, we've, we've played a couple rounds together. Usually we've been on the same team. Always have a good time. But uh, I've been playing like shit lately, and Brett knows that. And so he challenged me Friday night. Yeah, this is the thing. So you guys went up to Boston Friday night. He gets liquid courage and challenges you. You guys are going to play Saturday. That's correct? We're going to play Saturday, and we're playing at my home, my former home track. Uh, what is that, Granite Links? Granite Links Golf Club up in Quincy, Mass., where I've, no joke, probably played four or 500 rounds. Right. So he gets drunk, challenges me to a, a 100 bucks, straight up, stroke play, two to one odds. He gets two to one odds. Okay. Sure, Brett. <laughs> I had, I think, a seven-shot lead through three holes. Yeah. Absolutely dusted him. I played pretty well. He did not play his greatest. He was kind of struggling around the greens. So that was fun. Always good to shit kick somebody, especially when there's some cash on the line. Did he know that you were playing on your home course? You probably told him that. I didn't tell. I mean, I didn't read. Oh, like, you, he knew, but he just wasn't thinking of you it. You didn't tell. He he just knows that in his head, but you weren't like, no. if we play tomorrow, we're going to be playing on Grant Link's Once we made the wager, I said to him, you know we're playing on my home course. I know every nook and cranny and blade of grass on this thing. I've yeah. been everywhere. He was like. Shit, I forgot about that. Shit. And you're just a better golfer than he is. Yeah, and, uh, you know, based on the handicap system and all that, I should beat him most, almost all the time. And I did. I dusted him. I think I beat him by about 15 or 16 strokes. Okay. Um, so, Pr- Brett can suck it. Proud of you. Good we, job. We also played with Smitty, who might have the most preposterous um, fundamentals and alignment issues I've ever seen in my entire life. I noticed there were no video evidence of Smitty's swing that came out of the trip. I guessing, I'm guessing that was by design. I've, it's just he's so far off. That it's not, it wasn't even worth putting on social media. He, yeah. So he's got this vicious hook. <laughs> vicious, which is like the worst miss you can have in the world because your ball never stops rolling. He aims maybe 90 yards right, right on every shot. Like 90 yards right and then just tries to hook it in there. But like you can't control that. No. So even when you would hit one online that would land near a flag, it would bounce and roll like 40 yards left and back. it was chaotic all i see when i envision smitty golfing because i have yet to go golf with him yet although we're going to mm-hmm. um i just feel like he's mumbling like just get me on a dodgeball court just get me on a dodgeball court i'll show you what's really yeah, he's like you should see how far i can throw the golf ball all right smitty. <laughs> did he say that no oh like that would have been so smitty like <laughs> all right fuck this i'm gonna throw it the rest of the round and i'm gonna beat you guys but to smitty's credit he told us beforehand he's like i'm a terrible golfer yeah i only golf two or three times a year but i want to go up and have fun with you guys he was positive spirits all day we had a couple beers. The views were nice. The weather was nice. We were with the whole crew of the Heal Our Heroes guys. That's the underrated aspect. If you're like a really bad golfer, like the way it sounds that Smitty is, yep. you have to warn everyone, and you have to just have a good attitude. You can't be out there acting like you should be better than you are. And you got to play efficiently, yes. like quick. And he does. He doesn't hold anybody up. He stands up. He kind of takes one little practice whack. He aims a million yards right, and then he swings. And whatever happens, he's totally cool with it. Mm-hmm. So Smitty was great out there, great guy to golf with. We had a good time. Uh Anyways, yeah, I didn't. Anything I didn't go. Else? No, I didn't go with you. But I stayed back, and I on Friday night I got tacos and margaritas with Caleb and Hank, and you it was took, great. You took much heat for not coming up. I did take a lot of heat, but for a going lot up. of it was from like Gaz, who just chirps everybody. Gaz is always giving me yeah, shit. He's right. he, Gaz knows how to peer pressure and push my buttons. He's the person I've gone out with most since I've gotten to New York, and it's not because well we are we're, we're buddies and we're close friends, but he knows right on Fridays when to say we drinking tonight. He yep. he has it down that to sweet spot. he has it down to a science, and every time I say, "Yep, let's go," 
Yeah, uh, there are a couple barstool girls that were looking for you. They were like, oh, I, I thought Trent was coming up. You didn't tell me that part. I didn't want to hurt you while you're back in New York. You wanted to hurt me live on air? Yep. <laughs> That's okay. exactly what I wanted to do. All right, well, we might have to talk afterwards. I might have to get some names, and we'll we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that offline. Yeah, that sounds good. Anyways, on to the PGA Tour, Byron Nelson week. Um, Billy Horschel, victorious, down in Dallas. Down in Dallas. Like Irving, Texas, technically. A uh, little playoff win. It was uh, a kind of a sad finish with uh, our boy Jay Day, who had like 48 feet for birdie. Gave it a really good run. Yeah, Billy Horschel is your sworn enemy. Uh, I do not the, like Billy Horschel. Tour. So, yeah, coming down to the wire, it was Jason Day and Billy Horschel. And I would say 90% of people, at least on social media, were pulling for Jason Day. Yeah, it was, it was hard not to. I, um, we also got to talk about uh, James Hahn. Yep. Who is hopefully a future recurring guest on the show. On the on the four play podcast. Yeah, we think he's uh down the pipeline. Uh he had to hole it on his seventy second hole to get into a playoff about as close as you could possibly come. If you if you watch the replay and if you watch the tournament, you know what I'm talking about. That's as close as you can get without it going in. When even when it's about five inches away, it looks like it's going dead in the center of the cup. And it, then it just lips a perfect little perfect pace. Like it yep. looked like a really good putt. It did, and then it was great too because he did the thing where they had the big, um, they had the big screen way to the left of the green. Mm-hmm. So he hits like a, you know whatever a wedge in there or something that he spun back, and then you could see his eyes look left to yeah. the screen because he <laughs> wanted to actually like watch it roll and gave like a, oh my god I can't believe that didn't go in. So we had a lot of drama down. Another cool part of the, the coverage uh, they showed, which I don't know if they've ever done this before. I've never seen it. It was so close that they showed Han's reaction. Obviously, he was, you know, devastated a little bit. Then they showed Faldo and Nance in the booth watching, <laughs> and they, like, lost their shit, too. It was very cool. Yeah, so it was a, it was a good dramatic finish. Um, you know, Horschel, what do you want me to say? I don't love the guy. I've we read a handful of stories on this very show, which you should go subscribe to if you haven't already, and download and leave a five-star review on. Thank you. That uh, he's just been kind of a dick to people. It really started at Chambers Bay for me in 2015 when he was a dick to the greens, to the golf course, I, as soon as to you say people that, I can, afterwards. I can just see him doing, doing his, his little um, snake wiggle bump yeah. motion thing. He even did it this weekend, I think on Saturday, where he like threw a club. Oh, yeah. He made, 17. he made a bad bogey and he threw it and it looked like it hit his caddy. It was He's a bad done look. that. So I'm, I'm just not a huge Billy Horschel fan. Um, there was some news that came out today mm-hmm. from his wife. Brittany Horschel, she tweeted, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But or just the the first part of her tweet is I would like to share why yesterday's win had some extra emotions for uh, her hubby Billy Horschel. He needed he did tear up after he won. Uh, she goes on to say that basically the last year she was an alcoholic. Um, she's been in treatment. She's doing well. She's been sober. I believe the year uh, anniversary of her sobriety was like this weekend or something like that. So obviously. Um, that's more serious matter than our like fate, our hate for Billy Horschel. Let's call a spade a spade. Here. Yeah, really tough for Riggsy to shit on Billy Horschel when this kind of stuff comes out. So we're glad she, we're glad she's doing well. Yep. We're glad everybody's healthy. Um, it just kind of yeah, kind of cuts the legs out from under uh, Riggs's hate. The for rant Billy. that I could have gone on yeah. and I'm not going to because I'm a nice guy. Yep. Shout out to me to give our guy Capfather a little credit it's really really pretty much impossible to pick golf winners Cap because Father, I have not heard that name in years because if you look at this Billy Horschel went miscut 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 wins Siwoo Kim the week before at the players championship he had gone miscut miscut T22nd miscut win it's a crazy game this this golf it's nuts so you can't predict that shit the fact that our guy Capfather 
RIP, I think. Is he still out there? Occasionally, he what he does on social media is he shows a lot of support for me, and I think he hates Trent. He does hate me, which is fine. I think I hate him now, and he's always had the contact with you, so I don't give a shit about Catfather. He was hot at the beginning. Well, you're not a gambler either. I'm not a gambler. So I've been like kind of riding and dying with Catfather. Yeah, so I don't give a shit about Catfather, and if he's not producing for our listeners, then I don't give a shit about him. Fair. All of this Billy Horschel stuff has gotten on a couple of people's radar. Is there a foreplay reverse curse going on type situation? So let's lay out the, the facts. The facts are that... Um, I don't like... Let's start here. I don't like Sergio Garcia. And I didn't for a long time, but I do now. Yeah, yeah. You're a piece of shit for that. Okay. And um, so everybody hated Sergio. We hated Sergio. I made it known on this podcast. He goes and finally breaks through at a little tournament called the Masters. Wins the Masters. Then Ian Poulter, who we were having the golf podcast boys joyride of our life, shitting on him while he's losing his card, turns out... He doesn't. I got to tell you, I didn't even think about that part. We were dancing on a guy's grave who statistically, by numbers, that's math, that's what stats are, said that he was losing his PJ Tour card. We obviously had a huge party. And then a week later it comes out, um, who figured out? Our Brian Gay. Brian Gay, by the way, little teaser. We got Kip Henley, the caddy, for a long time for Brian Gay, on later on the podcast, who is electric. Kip Henley was great, and he made Brian Gay sounds like a good guy, so I can't fault him for anything, except he did find the points discrepancy and got Poulter his card back. So, you know, whatever. That's crazy, that Poulter. And then, at the Players' Championship, he almost wins the fucking thing. Almost wins the damn thing. Ties for second, makes like a million dollars almost. So then, in, now this week, we got Billy fucking Horschel, who I've shit on a million times. I think two weeks ago I told a real fun story about the Arnold Palmer Invitational that made him look like an asshole. Now he wins. Yep. So... We're, we're going to try and put this in the right direction. We're going to try and use our powers for good. Fuck Tiger Woods. Fuck Tiger Woods. There's no way he ever wins again. He's a total asshole. He's a piece of shit scumbag who cheated on his wife. Disgusting behavior from him. Having hookers and wait, Perkins waitresses piss on him. Come on, man. Be better than that. Apparently doesn't tip well. Just not a great guy. So fuck Tiger Woods. We're he, anti-Tiger. We hate the guy. Couldn't be worse. I, I hope he never recovers. I hope he never comes back. So great to see a guy with a nagging back injury. It's awesome. It's really oh. great and awesome. It's really thank a, God his body's falling apart. Yeah, it feels good. He deserves it. Um, so yeah, fuck Tiger. Anyways, on a more positive note, we have now got uh, our first interview with a looper. Yeah, we've been wanting to get a caddy on for a while. Uh, we've had every. I mean, everybody from every part of golf. We've had players. We've had analysts, we've had this, we've had that. We have not had a caddy, and we've wanted one for a long time. We got a great one in Kip Henley. I've been following this guy for a while on Twitter. He's kind of Twitter famous a little bit. He's very funny follow. Seemed like a really good dude. So we had him on. Here is um, quite a few. We spent 30 or 40 minutes. I think this was our longest interview yet. Probably our longest interview yet. We didn't want to stop talking. Uh, he's very got a lot of very interesting insight. Kip Henley. Enjoy. This interview with the legend that is Kip Henley is brought to you by our friend. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. For over a decade, Kip Henley, who's uh, also become a little bit of Twitter famous. Kip, how's it going? 
What's up, boys? Where are you at right now? Um, actually, i just been to the Home Depot for the warden. She sent me up there to try and patio, find patio furniture. So, uh, Just sitting here on the side of the road now, so I pull over so I don't lose coverage up here in the sticks. <laughs> you're a, I'm uh, a Chattanooga. Yeah, you're a Chattanooga guy, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but uh, you've garnered a little bit of a following on uh, on Twitter and all that lately. I've been following you for a while now, and we've had uh, we've had a lot of different people on. We never had a looper. We always get people being like, "You guys got to get the caddy perspective. You got to get the caddy perspective." There, you guys are finally going to stop beating us caddies down like everybody else. You're going to going to break the mode and and cave and let a caddy come on and do the show. <laughs> so. You've been a caddy for a while, but you kind of, you know, you started out as a hell of a player over there in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I wouldn't call myself a hell of a player. I mean, in days I was a hell of a player, but I never was a hell of a player for like much longer than a week or two, you know. So, <laughs> You're real streaky out tried, there? Oh, very streaky. I tried with both hands for 100 years just to uh, become a player. And, I mean, I got close a few times and, and, and knocked off a few trophies here and there, but just never could pull up that last little bit to get me on tour. That was my life's goal. So I say my my uh, golf career is a failure. People laugh when I say that, but it was my only mission, and I failed to get there. But so that's the way it, that's the way it works. But well, now you know. So I, I help other guys uh, meet their uh, their goals. Well, yeah, you've been out there looping for a while now. Uh, you know, you got real close. What's the uh, what's the difference? Kind of watching these guys being out there on tour all the time. What's the difference between what they got and what you got? It, it never was uh, it never was physical. I mean, I could hit it as far as – I mean, when I played full-time, I'd have been in the easy in the top 15 or 20% of the long guys, maybe 10%. I could bust it even though I was short. But And my short game was crazy good. And, I mean, I wedged it like Brian Gay almost. And But I think it was just the mental aspects of the game. I just – I just didn't have enough. I don't know. I'm not going to say meanness because I really enjoy beating the crap out of people in golf tournaments, but <laughs> I just didn't have enough. I just didn't have enough of the I don't give a crap mentality of what everyone thinks of me. You know, I think I always thought I worried too much about what everyone thought. And looking back, I think that was the biggest hole in my game. I'll ask God someday and he'll tell me. <laughs> so eventually, you know, you make the decision. All right, you know, I'm, I'm, I've gotten so close, but I'm not going to be a tour pro. I want to be a pro caddy. What was that? Uh, what was kind of making that call like? Just uh, the sheer necessity. I had to have food. I mean, for my family, you know, I put I put me and the wife uh, in in financial distress a thousand times trying to play. I mean, at one point, I had a where I I walked away from my great club pro job. I spent my entire uh, retirement which was only like 70 or 80 grand. And then I'd put us another about 80 grand in credit card debt on top of that. And so, I mean, and all through the years, even if we got a little, if I got three or 4,000 ahead of money, I would send it into tour school every year, even though I was club pro and, and I would go try tour school. I'd take a couple of weeks vacation out of shop and go get my ass handed to me. Then I'd go back to the, the pro shop. And I did that for years and years, just trying to get out there. But as I kept playing and I kept doing mini tours and stuff, my buddies would make it here and there, you know. You know, my friends would make it to the, the tour, like Garrett Willis and, and other guys. And 
they would ask me to caddy here and there as I would fail, and I would go, no, I'm going to be a player. I'm not going to caddy. And then I would, I ended up doing it once or twice just to help a, help a brother out. And then it got to where I didn't have my club pro job anymore. I didn't have any money anymore, and I had to do something. And my little brother, in fact, you know, I came through my little brother. He was, you know, he was with Woody Austin for ten years, and he's been with Garrigus five, and he's had a hell of a run out there, man. He's got he's got cash to boot. So that's kind of how I fell into it, just out of sheer necessity. People ask me, Kip, how do you become a caddy on the PGA Tour? I say, fail at everything else in your life. That's how I did it. <laughs> well, dude, it's got to be hard as hell to go play golf out there. You know, with your livelihood on the line, when you've got you put all that financial stress on yourself, how the hell are you going to try to play out there like that? <laughs> you know, I even had I even had uh, uh, backers at one point. I raised like sixty grand, one maybe even seventy grand for guys that just believed in me and bought shares in me and sent me out there. So, I mean, I had I had the I had backing at one point, and I've never had anything but backing from the boss. You know, the wife she's <laughs> always said, "Man, go do it. You can do that. That's your destiny." Even when I was just killing us financially, she never said, Kip, give it up, man, just give up. She never said it one time. I mean, I had the support, and at one point I had the cash. You know, I didn't have endless cash, and I think that would have helped me too. But I, I just didn't – I think the tour players, man, they have a way to car, compartmentalize that immense pressure and put things aside and just play the game, and I don't think I could ever do that. You know, I always had the handlebars on it. And I I play practice round and have nine birdies in the <laughs> – the the flag would go up and I'd shoot it straight in the bushes. I think I know the answer to this, but do you have any regrets about keeping trying after putting all that money into it, or are you glad you had to go through that? You know, they say, you know, the old saying, boys, uh, it, it's not the destination, it's the journey. I mean, I had a hell of a journey. I, you know, we, we homeschooled our girls in 2000 when they were like 9 and 10, and we played a whole year on the Hooters tour after I dropped my club pro job and i walked away from a hell of a club pro job you know i wasn't making tons of cash but i had lots of time and i was playing a section section events and whomping them pretty regular in that and supplementing my income i could give lessons but we we had that chance to go play in 2000 and and the my girls to this day they're 26 and 27 they still say that's the funnest year of their life you know we we traveled around in a van and just i mean I had all the weekends off because I was jacking all the cuts. So we're going to every water park in the country and <laughs> just having a ball and every beast. <laughs> it's been a hell of a ride, but it just couldn't get that last little spot. It stings, but, you know, I got the second best job in the world, boys. Kip, if you're recruiting, I think you said bikers to invest in you, you must be fucking lethal at the bar. You must be the most convincing <laughs> guy at the bar <laughs> in the whole world. Dude, I'm so- I'm saying you don't speak Chattanooga. You don't speak Kibonics. I said backers. I just I just talk like an idiot. It's backers, <laughs> not a biker. That would have been impressive as hell if you got bikers <laughs> supporting your tour I'm, career. I might have done better. I could have been a bigger asshole to people and stuff. And, and had, the, had, the, had the backer bikers backing me. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the uh, what was the most challenging part of transitioning from a player? you know, uh, uh, grinding, trying to make it as a tour player to a caddy, and you're helping another guy out? It's the same situation. I mean, it's, it's the same thing that the players, and most players, if they're worth their weight and salt, it's being gone. That was the biggest thing. But actually giving up, you know, giving up the fight and going, ugh, you know, it stung a little bit, you know, on the range where I'd see people – that were better at golf than me that would just, I would look at him and I'd go, holy hell, I, I, are you saying I can't beat that guy? Look at this guy's action, how bad it is. Look how bad he putts. 
I mean, good God, I'd beat this guy's brains in if he came to Tennessee, but yet he's on TV and making millions. That part stung a little bit, but it was more just the being gone from my family, man, and travel. But, you know, besides that, uh, my job is the coolest. I got the greatest office in the world. And the only guy with a better job, in my opinion, is the guy I hand the clubs to, you know. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if you're going to if you're gonna be a, a pro caddy and that's your life, and you mentioned the travel, you're away from your family all the time, you got to love golf. You really do. You got you to do it. And you got to have you know, you got you know, the divorce rate on tour and caddy, uh, the caddy ranks is, I mean, I don't know what the national average is, but I guarantee you double it on the on the PGA tour and the uh, caddy ranks because it's just so you got to have a strong woman sitting at home, man, willing to do that and let you go. And you know, she's alone. She's got to do all the all the handiwork around home and stuff. And you just come in for a week and you just want to sit there because you've been doing nothing but go, go, go. It takes a strong, strong woman to let you do this, man. So, uh, luckily, as in July 11th, I'll have 30 years in the barrel. So, Oh, wow. Congratulations. Woman. Yeah. Very proud of that. Uh, hey, your wife wrote that uh, thing about a year and a half ago. It seems like you, you got a good one at home, Kip. Wasn't that the coolest thing that anybody's ever written? I mean, I, that you know, that made USA Today and everything. I mean, she was a stay-at-home mom for years, taking care of the babies, and now she's a she is she never went to college one day, and now she's the financial uh, what is it? Oh, I don't even know her title. It the Mercedes dealer in here, and I mean, she's just killing it. She keeps us above water more than I do now. It's awesome. Does she ever give uh, whoever you're caddying for the needle a little bit? Like, hey, let's go, let's lend some fucking cash here. <laughs> She says it to me. Like, oh my God! Well, you know, I'll get a text. I'll come off the course like, "Well, double eighteen. It'll cost my man forty grand. It cost me, you know, four, four or five grand." And she'll go, "What the hell was that and stuff?" But never to the person because she knows. Same as me. You know, I've never ever gotten pissed at my player ever. I mean, I, I spent ten years with Brian Gay and I got mad at him twice in ten years. And one time it's because he wouldn't take his socks and shoes off and get in the water and whack a ball out that I knew he could hit down the fairway because he didn't want to get dirty. He's a pretty clean guy. <laughs> and the other time was not shooting at a pin that was back right with a big, huge wind out of the right. The pin was sitting next to the the uh, hazard. And but, but at that point, we were still in the game. It was, it was like our 16th hole in Mexico. And it was a back right pin. And I said, BG, you got to shoot at this pin. He goes, that would be the dumbest thing I've ever tried in my life. He goes, it's it's like 40-mile-an-hour wind out of the right. The pin's on the right. I'd have to send it 30 yards out in the hazard. And he's kind of protecting his money. And, and I knew I thought the door was still open for us to win. And, I mean, that's the only two times we ever battled. And the one about the socks coming off, that was just more for fun. But I really did get <laughs> pissed at him that one. But he is just a, such a smart player. For me to uh, to argue course management decisions with Brian Gay, that would be like me telling, I don't know, uh, uh, Robert Redford, how to act. Yeah. <laughs> so after something like that, you're kind of getting into it. He doesn't do what you want. Do you kind of like snub him out there? Are you just real quiet like a like an old married couple? No. After he hit the shot to the middle of the green and two putting got out there, and we made a nice check. You know, and if I would have talked him into sending it out over the hazard and letting the wind blow it back in and, and he hit it close and missed it or something, whatever, if, he could have had a 100 on the hole. But you know, after he after he hit the shot in the middle of the green, I picked the bag up and I actually pointed to him. So you ever do that to me again, I'll quit you. You know, I was pissed because <laughs> I was still trying to win. I was trying to win the golf tournament. But if you spend ten years with a guy on the golf course 
out there chasing his dream with him and stuff, and you only get upset at him twice, you've got a hell of a guy you're working for because it's easy to get pissed at each other out there because there's so much pressure and so much decision-making to do. And, you know, I should have done this. I should have listened or I shouldn't listen. If, if the people knew at home the battles that we go through out there from time to time, it would it would make golf way more interesting. You wouldn't be sleeping watching the golf coverage. <laughs> so, uh, so we've talked about, you know, your time with Brian Gay quite a bit already. We're going to get into it a little bit more. I think a lot of our listeners are really interested into the whole process of, you know, a caddy and a player hooking up far off too often. All we hear about is the separation, the firing. We hear even about Lydia Ko now who's been through like a million caddies. She's like 15. How did you get, yeah. you know, hooked up with Brian Gay? How does that whole process work out? That Lydia Ko, she's changing caddies like underwear. Isn't she? Man, she's, <laughs> she must be a tough one. Oh, but, she's uh, got to be. Uh Brian Gay, uh, he, you know, I play. I was caddying for Garrett Willis as a favor years ago at Reno, and we played a practice round with a guy named Brian Gay. And, but you know what? I knew Brian Gay. I knew his college career because where I was the club pro, the SEC championship came to that golf course when I was a club pro 100 years ago, and a little dude named Brian Gay with his hair sticking out over his visor and rocking sunglasses, he won the SEC there. So I knew of him. He didn't know of me. And get this, even on top of that, a few years later, you know, I qualified through the section, the fat guy way into a tour event. I made it into the Memphis uh, tournament, and I, I played that like six or seven times. But the very first time I ever got – I played in it, I got paired with a guy. It might have been my second time. But I got paired with a guy named Brian Gay and Doug Dunnicky, two guys named Doug Dunnicky and Brian Gay. And so but fast forward, you know, seven or eight, six, eight years later, uh, I'm caddy for Garrett Wilson. We get paired with Brian in a practice round. I kind of know him. He doesn't know me, and we talk. Well, you know, he, he knows of me a little bit. So uh, I said, hey, BG, did you know I played with you in Memphis? He goes, nope, me and you never played together. And I go, you're crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't forget. So that's how I met Brian Gay, and his caddy had some trouble at the time and was going on one time away. I was working for Eric Axley, a Tennessee boy. I just committed to a caddy. I just finally said, I give, I'm caddying. And I'd worked like seven or eight events for uh, Eric Axley, who had got his tour card. And we were doing well. We were trending up. And then Brian Gay's bag came open. And Brian had already secured his card for the following year. And I told Ax, sorry, bud, or this, this might make you sad. It'd probably make you happy. But I'm moving on. I'm going to Brian Gay. His card's locked up for next year. And so I jumped ship, and Ax got kind of chafed up at me, but chafed up enough to where the following week was San Antonio. After I quit Ax and go to Brian Gay, Brian Gay's not playing. The course doesn't suit him. So I'm sitting at home, and guess who wins first place in the daggum San Antonio? Oh, your your old boy. Yeah, my and at that time, I'd only caddied on tour for like eight, eight tournaments. I mean, I was – I was so broke I couldn't pay attention. I had no money, and then watch Axe win like seven hundred fifty thousand that that following week. It, my wife wanted to kill me. But <laughs> as, it turned out, as it turned out, it was a hell of a move. BG's BG's done plenty good since then. I've had some great runs with BG. Yeah, have, you, I, have I told any Brian Gay stories yet? Uh, we, that's what we got you here for. <laughs> plenty of BG stories. So you guys, you know, you you had some wins. Uh, what was the biggest moment, biggest single shot, most nervous you were on the bag for BG? Holy cow, I never thought about it. It was all, uh, 
I guess, you know, once we made in the playoff at the Bob Hope, his last win, uh, we, you know, we were on the Palmer course in the tournament, the course where uh, that, that damn Duval shot 59 and won that course. And, and we ended up in a playoff with uh, Lingmurth and Charles Howe III, who's one of my favorite guys on the PJ Tour. We ended up in a playoff of that. And the first playoff hole is 18. It's a little dog, you know, the one over the water. And it was it was a good win, so Brian Gay could get there every day. So that wasn't that big a deal. So Lingmar hit it out in the lake, and us and Charlie both made birdie. And then I was when we were going down 18, I said, if we don't, I talked to, like, Slugger White or whoever was the rules official. I go, where are we going next if this hole is pushed? And they go uh, straight over to 1T. And I went, oh, crap, that's no good. Brian Gates never made it through there without hitting the water at least once during the tournament. <laughs> and so, you know, that he's got a million eighty grand on the line, and we tie 18, so me and Charlie go over to the number one. It's, there's no left rough. It's just aqua all the way down the left side. And I'm, and I'm standing – that's the most nervous I've ever been. And uh, BG hit a bullet right down the right center with a tiny draw, and it was hauling ass. And he, he hit a wedge like – eight feet against Charlie. Charlie missed a green, then uh, BG buried the birdie putt for me to get another flag. That was a cool time. That was the most nervous I've ever been sitting there watching one shot because I knew he was thinking in the back of his mind, man, I've hit it in that lake like every other time I play this hole. <laughs> so let's compare that to times when, you know, he's won uh, by ten strokes, he's won by five strokes before. What is it on those weeks is, uh, do you know, do you get a sense those types of weeks from whether it's the range, practice rounds, whatever, like nobody can beat him this week? Uh, you know, I, I've i seen him on top. Of this, you know, he won his first tournament was Mexico, and he, he won that by three shots. Uh, if, can y'all hear that beeping? The, the wife is driving. She's trying to get through on this. I'm going to kill her. Um, <laughs> we, I don't think we can hear anything on our end. Good. Uh <laughs> So uh, our first win was Mexico, and he won that by three shots. And then our next win was uh, Hilton Head. And going into the week, it was nothing special. You know, I knew the course was uh, beautiful for BG. The golf course fits him perfect. It fits everybody. It's the best golf course on the PGA Tour, in my opinion, Harbor Town. But um, after about Thursday or Friday, I mean, it was on. The boy was playing so good, and he played Saturday. It was so good. And we went to the – we were walking to the tee uh sunday morning sunday afternoon with a tea time and we're playing uh whoever and so i i stopped him and i very seldom ever give him pep talks and i looked him i said bg stop we're walking to the tea from the bride strength and we're all I, I said stop look me in the eye and he said what looked at me like you're weird and i go dude if you play with just pure you see your shot and you just swing with just commit 100% to the all 18 holes a day. We're going to win this thing by eight or ten shots. Promise. Just commit to every shot. You're playing too damn good. And he won by ten shots. It was You know, he went out birdie, eagle like birdie. So we went from three ahead to seven ahead, and he just kept the pedal match down the whole time. And I did till the very end when you when you just can't kill yourself coming in. But I made him play conservative off 16 and 18 and, he was laughing at me, but he listened to me, and, we, and he got it done. It you got to lock up that paycheck. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we had at the time we had an eight or nine shot lead, and, and if you're caddying, I mean, you just never ever. Even if, I'm, I'm, I don't care who these guys are, 
If they say they're comfortable once the guy hit it on the green, I'm not comfortable until that scorecard sign they walk out. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm thinking about well, he could hit his foot here, he could drop his coin, move his ball, he could he could have a zillion ways to, to screw it up. You know, I'm I'm a hundred. I don't let the guard down until he walks out of that scoring tent. You know, that's the way I do it. But so to get into a little bit more general caddy type stuff, what's the process like? arrival on site let's say you know you're going to a stop that maybe you've been to once or twice before you know when do you kind of get in are you going there before your guy are you kind of walking the course studying the course changes what's that whole process like well we'll know in advance if there's changes involved on the golf course you know and, and if we've been there i'm not getting in there early and i'm not walking around the golf course i just think that's busy work you know i've been you know, I know I know Harbor Town like the back of my hand. I know Memphis like the back of my hand. I know, I mean, every course we go to. Now, if I don't know the golf course, if it's any way possible for me to beat my guy in, and I'm beating him in there, and I'm going to go out and walk around the golf course. But there's a lot of caddies that go and walk off the greens and walk shoot the yard. I mean, we have a yardage book, boys, that has it within a yard <laughs> of everything you need to know. I mean. You could play the a PGA Tour course blind, and it might bite you once or twice the first time you play it. But if I don't know the golf course at all, I'm going to walk out and I'm going to walk the greens mostly. You know, I'm going to pay attention to the dog legs and run outs, but that's all in the book. But I'm going to walk around the greens and see where you just don't screw up. And, you know, and, and we're going to shoot away from those spots. But actually, preparation, I don't know if you just call me lazy or sensible <laughs> or what, but. There's probably other caddies that the real golf nerds would rather speak to on course preparation because I'm not that guy. I was going to say 50 yards. At, what? I was going to say it sounds like those other caddies are doing it just to make it look like they're doing actual work. They are, and they want everybody to see them. I think it's crap. 150 yards here in Chattanooga will play like 150 yards at Hilton Head. You know, that's the way I look at. It. If a guy can hit up 800, 150 yards here, he's going to be able to hit it there. Now we go sometimes where elevations involved. We have to do a lot more math, but. You know, uh, I, I put out a tweet long ago when we were at Reno, and, and the casual golfer at home thinks he could caddy on the PJ Tour. If he went to Reno, he wouldn't last a half a hole. What? What? Just, just because of the elevation, right? It's yeah. just you got to know. You got to know that shit. Oh my God, it's so confusing. I mean, I, if you if, say, for instance, you're on 15 or uh, number uh, six at Reno, and it's downhill, and you're like. 160 there so it's it's play the ball flies 10 percent further there so that's like 16 yards less at home you know uh you could hit the ball so i mean there's so much math involved with stuff you almost got to kill my wife the warden is killing me boy sorry <laughs> to let her suffer 10 more minutes so you gotta it feels he like you gotta bring the calculator out there yeah i was gonna say yeah well, look, luckily it's the wife and not the uh the mistress Maybe I, she thinks I got something going on with the patio lawn furniture chick at Home Depot or something. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know what she thinks I'm doing. So that's where I've been. What's uh, what's the uh, what's the nightlife with the caddy crew like on tour? Boys, in the old days, and kind of when I got out there about eleven years ago, it was a lot more intense. And there's still a few of the hanger owners, and you'll see occasionally the guy that missed the cut, the caddy goes crazy. But there's so much cash involved now, boys. There, it's more of a daggum. I mean, these these young guys coming out, they don't do anything. They they're in the gym, they're eating like granola bars and crap like that. I'm still. I still hang out, but I mean, I sh I'm old. I got to shut her down, or I can't make it all 18 the next day. So, I don't, I don't. I've had a, my share of a stay out late, but only on missed cuts or t 
two o'clock tea times or something like that, then I'm going to hang out for a little bit. But uh, there's too much money now. The guys just don't do it anymore, boys. The caddy stories are dying. Or they're dying fast. Trust me. There's there's CPAs and smart guys out there caddying now. It's crazy because the money can be so good. But saying that, there's there's still yeah, it is a lot. Of, that is a shame. It, because <laughs> the stories are dying. But uh, the the money's so good now. Guys are just they're too too smart about it. So what uh, what do you think your most important job is out there inside the ropes? Uh, past, you know, past, and it's probably it ties all back into the same thing, guys. You know, a little bit of, of course management, you know, and rules and things like that, and reading greens. But easily the most important thing a caddy is going to do is the psychology of the game and he and he has to learn he even the old you know the old guys that hung around forever on the tour caddy i guarantee you they could run their own psychology couch uh thing they they could be psychologists and get paid for it no one would ever know because they understand human nature you have to understand what makes the guy tick how do you get in his head and build confidence how do you get in his head without letting him know you're trying to get in his head you know it's it is an absolute mental jousting out there with your guy and you have to be good at it you got to know when to talk when to shut up and when you open your mouth what to say and and if he's a tough guy and he's looking for an out to a missed shot or a bad day and you say the wrong thing you're a dead man so it's easily the is is the psychology of the game and i you know being a being a former you know not not a tour player but a former player you know and played in one of my share tournaments uh I, I kind of feel like I have a good idea what a guy needs to hear when his when his hands are sweating and his heart's pounding through his daggum Ashworth shirt. So I think I can help him on the stuff like that. Yeah, how much uh, you know? How important is it, or how much do you feel like a good caddy is really good buddies, good friends, good pals with his guy? Uh, you know the perfect scenario. If you, if you got a if you got a player, and you know you see these relationships, guys. If you you see like uh, James Edmondson and 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 uh, and Dad Gummit Ryan Palmer, you see the relationship, and you see guys like Bones and Mickelson, and I mean these guys are in it together. And and you see, and that, and that's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And me and BG had that for years and years. We were in it together, you know. But if a guy will bring you in and let you be a part of the team, you know, there is so special out there. But you still you have the other guys. You have a handful of really successful guys that, that can't stand caddies. They have you there because the tour makes them have you there. They would carry the bag or a cart if they could, but they have to have you. And they don't <laughs> want any information. They don't want any, any interaction, and they're kind of mean to their guy. That part, that those caddies, that sucks, that part. But – like I said, if you have a guy that'll bring you in, and, and you two are trying to chase the thing down together, it, it, it's a beautiful thing when you get it done. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're out there alone and you don't want a guy on your side, your boy holding your clubs, you sound like you got a big old dump in your pants. <laughs> That's right. It's like it's like caddies are like underwear. When something goes wrong, you change them, man. So. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about this year. I know we know you got the wife calling. We don't want to keep you too long. Uh, this year you're on the bag a little bit for VJ. VJ is obviously a legend. Uh, kind of what you know? What was that transition like? Uh, you know, getting on the bag for such a big name like Vij. Uh, 
so incredible. I mean, parts of it were very, very incredible. I mean, just just like you would think when you're caddying for a Hall of Famer and got just one more tournament than Lee Trevino on the PGA Tour. I mean, this guy is the badass to the bone. <laughs> now, I knew when I signed on a couple of things. I knew that his practice schedule was going to be rigorous. I knew I was going to be out there on the ride. I had to have a lot of sunscreen. And uh, I knew he was a tough guy going into it. I knew he didn't suffer a fool. I knew that he didn't let you know, people don't get to get in the VJ circle unless you get lucky. You're not getting in the circle unless you you have a gift of gab or something. But he's really, you know, he's hesitant. Let he's been nailed a bunch of times by the press, and he's been nailed by you know uh, players and caddies. So he really keeps his circle tight. And if you get in that, it's kind of a cool thing. But the one thing that me and VJ just didn't, and and it kind of made me sad. You know, I ended up quitting VJ after TPC. And I told him, I said, VJ, man, I love you. I love working for you. It's incredible, but I'm just not tough enough to be your guy, you know, because he, I mean, besides he's demanding, he, he, you know, he'll take a lot of swings at you during the day, and I get my feelings hurt, you know. If it's in good nature and it's, you know, and it's not personal and it's fine, I can take it. It's part of what caddies do, but I don't know. He, he was just kind of hard on me, and I made good money, and I learned a lot, and, and I don't think he hates my guts. I'm not sure, but. I think we're still boys, and you know maybe I'll work for him again someday. But you know, even even saying that, you know, I had VJ, and and he's going to be an incredible. He's going to make somebody a pot full of cash. But I still, guys, I got like maybe six, seven, ten years max of great caddying left. I want a young stud that's ready to win every golf tournament and and make the Ryder Cups and win majors. I want to be a part of that so bad. That's not anywhere on my resume. You know, I've been a successful tour caddy, but I have no majors. I have no Ryder Cups. I have no Presidents' Cups. That's what I want. So that was going to be my next I'm, question is what's, you know, how much of, because you're, you know, you're in between right now, how much of the process of trying to figure out who you want to go loop for is, you know, do you ever consider, I'm going to take a gamble on one of these real young guys and try to get in with a stud who's just starting out? Uh, yeah, I think about it all the time, and you'll have an occasional agent say, Kip, if you'll go down to the the web dot and bring this guy up, you're going to be a bajillionaire someday. But it's you know it's such a risk that you do, and you're just going to be eating peanut butter sandwiches for a year if you do that to go down there and come up with a guy. Now, obviously, I'd like for him to come off that tour and rinse the guy he had and then take me immediately on the PJ tour. That's the perfect <laughs> scenario. But that ain't very good for the caddy there. But but I would never cut the legs out from a guy that's coming off the mini tour. I mean the web tour like that. But most of those guys won't. You know they bounce around caddies anyway out there because it's so financially stressful to have your own guy paying so much every week. They don't make enough cash. So they're all they're usually looking for one of the guys. But you say pick. You know it's not so much that. You know I quit VJ what seven eight days ago now, and I, all I'm doing boys staring at the phone. My phone hadn't rang yet. So. It's not like I got my choice. It's going to have to be, I, you know, my my name is not established as one of the really, you know, if, if I would have caddied for VJ in his day when he won all the majors, my phone would be ringing off the hook now. Or if I caddied for Mickelson or Tiger, your phone would ring off. But I just don't have that reputation that some of the caddies have. You know, I get calls, and I've turned down one or two smaller bags since then, but I mean, I could have gone to the LPGA, and and I've had a couple little calls, but I haven't had a call that's got me fired up yet. So I'm sitting waiting. You just hold out for Lydia Ko. <laughs> She'll sooner or later she's going to get to you guys too. You know, <laughs> all of us going to 
Paul's going to have a shot to caddy for that chick. How much do you think it's uh, luck plays in, you know, some of these caddies, some of these guys just getting on the bag for the right guy, for, right time? Brilliant question. It, that's, that's I've always put that analogy out there. If you're a caddy and there's two out, you're an out-of-work caddy and your buddy's an out-of-work caddy, and you guys are working the lot or whatever you call working the lot where you show up to PJ Tour and just kind of wave at guys when they get the clubs out and just make sure they, hey, there's Skip standing over there without a bag, you know. <laughs> if you're doing that and say you're standing on the putting green and a guy makes it through Monday qualifying, he walks up, he's had an idiot carrying for him at the Monday qualifying, so he comes out looking. And you're standing on this side of the putting green, and your buddy's standing on that side, and that guy got out of the parking lot on that side and walked up to the thing and goes, hey, are you a tour caddy? Yeah, I'll caddy for you. You might stumble onto a $10 million a year bag. You never – I mean, because I was standing on the wrong side of the putting green. It's a lot of pot luck to a point. You know, once the guys are established, then you'll get phone calls, you know, and I'll probably end up getting a phone call soon. But it, it can be pot luck like that. Guys have stumbled onto that, and you see a guy who – who caddy for a year. I know two or three, I won't say names, that just had, you know, that were caddy for years. No one wanted them. They didn't have a reputation as the, being one of the best caddies. And they went down to the web.com for one or two events and got a guy and brought them up and won, you know. And, and they, then they ended up being considered one of the great caddies when they really don't know the difference from the ass in a hole in the ground. But they wound up with a great guy. And so people immediately think they're a great caddy when they're just not. But uh, there's a you know there's a guy I think it's a derail we call him he, he he came he he used to bug me on Twitter all the time Kip I want to be a tour caddy how do I do it like I say get in line or whatever you know everybody's walking up <laughs> and he said what do I do and he kept bugging me and he said what do I do how do I do it and I said really derail the the best thing for you to do is it's not a great I said go to the web tour work the parking lot get a guy find a guy bounce around find a stud and come up with him. Well, he came up. He did exactly that. He came up with uh, Mackenzie Hughes, and they've already notched a win this year. So that guy is a huge success story, and I'm not taking credit for it because he's a hardworking dude, but just he did exactly what I told him to do. I think think you deserve a little credit. Yeah, you can take a little credit there, Kip. (laughs) I told him how to do it, and he did it. Now he's smashing my head in. I love it. He's a good dude, too. Oh, this quick, rare break in the Kip Henley interview is brought to you by our friends at Chef's Cut. Chef's Cut, real jerky is phenomenal uh this is even part of the ad read script right here i just want to talk about how absolutely delicious it is trent loves it i want to talk about how they gave us a box of the stuff and it was gone in about two days here at the office our guy caleb is maybe the biggest chef's cut real jerky fan on planet earth it's absolutely delicious i put it in my golf bag i put two bags in my golf bag two or three weeks ago pulled them out every time i've golfed they're gone now because everybody in the group's like oh let me get a quick bite of that that's so delicious. Where'd you get it? Boom, gone. It's that good. Chef's Cut Real Jerky is the only jerky brand out there that is founded by a real chef, Chef Blair Swiler. Not only that, it is also the only real uh, jerky brand that started on the golf course. Co-founder Dennis Riedel met Chef Blair while caddying at uh, Calusa Pines. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Uh, I got a, a quick question I just thought of. How annoying inside the ropes really are camera clicks? Because we see Tiger like lose his mind about it all the time. 
pretty annoying. Even, boys, when you go to the Masters, you're allowed, you know, they let them, I think they let them take pictures in the practice rounds of Augusta, don't they? Yeah, yeah it's they just, did. yeah, not with your phone, but you can bring in like a camera uh, and yeah. take pictures and during you, the practice. Even there, it's it's disconcerting because it happens when it's quiet and it's not, you know, if there's if there's a tent full of drunk people up there and it's constant chatter, you can deal with it unless some asshole goes Bruh! or something or screams out and you backswing or something or they drop. But the the camera is just uh, it, it'll really throw you off because it clicks at the top or clicks somewhere and you're just not expecting it. And so. Uh, I'm not one of these guys. I see a lot of these big caddies that will just tell everybody, put the phone down as you walk up on the tee. Usually people are smart enough, and I see them taking pictures. And Sometimes they're, uh, you know, they're taking video. I don't give a crap. You know you know how to turn your phone on and off. Make sure it doesn't ring. I'm not telling anybody to put their phone down unless it's, they're being obnoxious or something because if you look around now, everybody's got their cell phone out now at tour events. It's crazy. So Yeah, it's a lot different. It's not some idiot. Right. Um, all right, last thing. We're going to have uh, our guy Trent's going to run through a little rapid fire, just a handful of quick questions. Oh, my God. This is when I can really step on my penis on these Yes, yeah, that's, that's the expectation. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this first question actually works nicely with what we were just talking about. What's the meanest thing you've ever said to a person in the gallery? Uh, would you guys shut up? First place is a million dollars. I actually said that in front of, like, three drunk guys that – in front of Brian Gay, we were in the he hit it off in the bushes, and we had to park the gallery. And there's three drunk guys standing behind, him and they're chatting. I go, "Hey, everybody, stand still and please, please be quiet." And I mean, we're up there at this time. We're not in first place, but we're chasing the leaders down. And that was the, have the one of the beauties of having Brian Gay. I said, "Would y'all be quiet?" And they kept talking. I said, "Would y'all shut up? First place is a million dollars." Like that, I scream out. <laughs> it's true. Ryan I would say honesty is the like, best policy in that situation, I think. Rod said, you're such an idiot. He let me get away with it. He killed me for it. But that's the meanest thing I've ever – I'm usually not too mean to the fans. I like that. Uh, the next one, have you ever come close to shitting your pants in the middle of a round? <laughs> get this, boys. I have total anal control. I wear knock-on polyester, knock-on wood or something. I wear white shorts 95% of the time. I don't have any backup shorts. I don't have any backup rain pants. So you know – That is risky. Total – that is so risky, and I'll have occasional drink at night, so it's very risky, but I have total uh, butt control out there, boys. It's nice. It's one of my qualities that is on Jealous. my Jealous. You worked me right into my next one. Uh, boxers, briefs, or do you free ball when you're out there caddying? There's no free ball for me. I get chafed up. Fat guys get chafed up. Man, I got to have. I got to have. I'm I'm not lubed up, but I'm I'm like I, I, a little caddy secret. We wear unscented uh uh, deodorant down there around our tank and stuff and it keeps it'll but then after that boxer breeze so you can't have skin touching skin if you're fat and soft like you got to have something because chafing is the worst fucking thing in the world oh i mean i in the old days before i learned about the sheer deodorant down there around your stuff i can remember getting out you get out of the you know you've turned into pure salt by the time you get to your hotel room and you get off the elevator and you look down the hallway and you're at the end and you go i don't think i can get down there <laughs> Jesus. And you walk down like uh, you look like John Wayne walking down the hallway. I like that. Uh, what's your favorite alcoholic beverage after a round? It's Captain and Diet. I should have a daggum. They should pay me. I drink so much of it. <laughs> I like. We had a couple captains this weekend, actually. Captain Coke, good stuff. 
y'all are girly men like me then. I could, I could oh, yeah. I don't hide that at all. I drink whatever's delicious. All right, and then my my last one here. Uh, do you have any pre-round superstitions that you stick to? You have to do before any round. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta. If I, yeah, and it goes back to the question one. If I, if I, if I poop after I get out of the shower, my day is ruined. I can't do it. So, I, I mean, I'll get up three hours before my teeth. I don't give a crap if we're ten off at seven o ten. I'm getting up at. 4.010 because I'm drinking a Diet Coke and I'm working up a, a, a bathroom trip before I get in the shower. Uh-huh. So that's my only thing. So that's how I wear the white shorts, boys. I never, If you see me in the morning early tea time, look me in the eye and know I've already pooped at least <laughs> once. Are you, and I pooped before I got in the shower. Are you a, are you a coffee guy at all? Because I feel like that would really help speed up the process. I'm not a big coffee fan, but I think that would do. And it's probably what I'm going to do because all the health guys that are out there on tour, they tell me that the Diet Cokes are killing me and they're bad for you. But I tell them, I say, I've started drinking them in 83. I figure I've drunk somewhere about uh, 70,000 Diet Cokes. I've never been to the hospital overnight. I've never had surgery. I've never had a broken bone. The only time I go to the doctor is if I'm bleeding so, and I'm cut. So, uh no, I should do coffee because I think it's making the Diet Cokes make me fat. Fat people drink Diet Cokes, skinny people drink fat Coke. You can figure it out. <laughs> all right, Kip. Well, I think that's all we got. Uh, we know the wife's kind of looking for a little oh, call, yeah, looking for an update. She's absolutely the warden's going to kill me after this. So <laughs> we kept you know, a little longer than we said, down. but we couldn't help it. Dude, I could stay another hour and a half. Call me when you run out of uh, uh, smart, cool people. I'll talk to you. <laughs> well, you will definitely be a recurring guest. We really appreciate you taking the time. And anybody out there that's looking for a looper, Kip Henley's the man. Give him a call. <laughs> call me, boys. All right, man. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Kip. Hey, it's an honor being on with you, boys. I keep up with y'all stuff. Y'all are top shelf. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Take care. That interview with Kip Henley was brought to you by Driver vs. Driver. Golf Channel's Driver vs. Driver is set to embark on its second season, and they're looking for talented designers to help develop the next great driver along with the experts at Wilson Labs. Think you have what it takes? Submit your ideas at Golf Channel and Wilson Golf at golfchannel.com backslash driver versus driver by May 31st, and you could be a contestant on the next season of Driver vs. Driver. The show will follow the journey of aspiring designers as they work their way from concept to reality. Each week... Each week, teams face will, will face elimination from the show's panel of expert judges. Contestants will work hand-in-hand with the Wilson Labs team as they look to conceptualize their groundbreaking ideas. By season's end, one team will see their product brought to life and sold in stores by one of the golf industry's most respected brands, Wilson Golf. Time is running out. Get your entries into the folks at Wilson by May 31st, and you could find yourself on Golf Channel this fall. Well, Kip Henley is the man. Yeah, if that's if you learned anything today, it's that Kip Henley is the fucking shit. I basically now I want to talk to just every caddy because I have this thought that oh wow they're all really cool. There was the part of the interview at the end where he's like, I could talk to you guys for another hour and a half, and part of me wanted to be like, let's just do it. Okay, let's, let's just, just put out a three hour yeah. podcast. Actually, what we could have done is just stop recording and been like, all right, Kip, you're still on. Let's keep doing it. But I think if we had gone for another hour and a half, his wife would have literally killed him. That was so we had this plan. We we're going to go extra long because we knew he was interesting. Yeah, and we knew Caddy's going to have a different perspective than we ever had before, but the wife thing—I got nervous. I did too because it happened a couple times. The warden, I know, and he—we had just got done talking about how awesome his wife was and how much he like respects her and loves and her. He's like, I'm going to kill her. She's going to kill me. <laughs> so we're like, I don't want to get Kip in trouble with his wife, but we, but then he's super interesting, so we had to keep him on for as long as we could. 
But I'm thinking he'll be back. That's that's not the last you've heard of Kip Henley on this podcast. One of my sneaky favorite parts was that he exclusively referred to Brian Gay as Brian Gay. Brian Gay? He said his full name every time. I like that. He's like, well, then Brian Gay had the wedge in this spot. And then he looked over at me and Brian Gay said this. I was like, he just really gives him the full name treatment. I also like picturing him. He was he said he was just at Home Depot and he just pulled off to the side of the road to do a quick interview. Didn't want to, what, he didn't want the service to go out? Yeah, that's such a Chattanooga, Tennessee guy move <laughs> to pull over on the side of the road. I have a question for you. Yep. Is it Ch- Chattanooga or Chattanooga? Probably Chattanooga. Okay. I think he said Chattanooga. Did he? Dude, what do I say? You say Chattanooga. Okay, interesting. I don't know. I think Chattanooga sounds cooler. I think Chattanooga, well, this is just because we pronounce it different ways. Mm-hmm. I think Chattanooga sounds like cooler and more mysterious. So, okay, interesting. So we're, we say and we think the opposite of what each one of us does. Correct. Interesting. That's weird. Anyways, on to the next segment from the gallery. People love this one. We yeah. often, it's often, many people are saying that it's uh, the folks' favorite segment. Everyone, please be reminded to send us stuff. Send us from the gallery stuff. Send it to Sunshine so that he has more email and shit uh, to go through. For play at barstoolsports.com? Yep, that's right. You can also um, social media us. I don't know if that's the right verb. I, you just verbed social media, but okay. Social media us at Fourplay Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Our Instagram has blown the F up. Yeah, and really start sending us stuff now because we have a full-time producer, or he's a producer, and who's just going to go through that stuff. So everything you send in is going to get seen. Yep, we were less likely to see it. Prior to a week ago, now Sunshine just sits there in his chair and goes through this shit all day. So send us stuff, send us stuff, send us stuff. Anyways, on to From the Gallery. Uh, from the Gallery, which is everybody's favorite segment, is brought to you by our friends at Bomb Tech. We've talked about them many times because they are awesome. Uh, direct to consumer golf company that, uh, like I said, we're gigantic fans of, we're boys with. They do great stuff. They make awesome stuff. They're disrupting the golf industry because of it. That is bomb as an explosion, tech as in technology, golf, because we're golf people. We love golf. That's why we're here. Um, they are one of the fastest growing golf companies out there because of the quality and value they provide. Bomb Tech builds clubs for the average golfer. That's you. That's guys like us. They don't give a shit about pros, gigantic uh, sponsorship contracts, retail, none of that. They only care about you. That's why they're able to make them and sell them cheaper, even though they still got high quality. They may be kind of pissing off the rest of the golf industry, but they don't care. Neither do we. That's why we love them. Their only goal is to offer you, the regular golfer, more for your money. Bomb Tech Golf offers the Grenade Wedge Set, three premium wedges for just 97 bucks. You get a 52-degree, a 56-degree, and a 60-degree wedge for a total of 97 bucks. Trent and I have them. We love them, right, Trent? Yeah, and uh, I'll, every day or every time Chaps come in, he just came in today, he's always coming up to me like, where are those wedges? I want to swing those around a little bit. So Chaps going to get on board. He's going to buy them. The beauty of once you do acquire them, the stainless steel wedges are backed by a 60-day guarantee. If you don't like them, just send them back for a 100% refund. Uh, they ship next business day, and you really cannot find better performance and value combined. Also, they've partnered with the Four Play Guys for an exclusive offer. You go to Google, type in Grenade Wedges to find Bomb Tech Golf. You can take an additional 15% off of that $97 unbelievable value for the Grenade Wedge set using the coupon code BOOM15. That's B-O-O-M-1-5. BOOM15. Seriously, while you're listening to us right now, Google Grenade Wedges. Check them out. Both Trent and I have them. We love them. Chaps is going to have them. Everybody loves them. Google Grenade Wedges. Go get your wedges. Boom 15 to get the promo code. On to from the gallery. We got an interesting one this week. Yep, yep, yep. I like this one a lot, actually. So it's a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit of which would you rather, which one's better. This guy says, my dad and grandfather were both scratch golfers in their prime. 
RIP to the glory days. My grandfather has had eight whole holes in ones in his life. Hole hole in ones? Holes in ones? I think it's holes in ones. I think you pluralize the first word. Okay. But I don't know that for a fact. I might have just made that up. My dad has none. However, he has a double eagle, a.k.a. albatross and albatross. A lot of grammatical discussion going on here. Hold out from 240 yards when he was 14 years old. Boys, which one is more impressive? He goes on to say, obviously the double eagle is so much more rare, but eight is a shit ton. Is there a point where the number of hole-in-ones, holes-in-ones, passes the double eagle on the impressiveness scale? Trent? Okay. I have my answer, and it has nothing to do with which one is more rare or which one you have more of. Okay. My answer, it's hole-in-ones. And it, the reason is is because it translates better when you're telling a story to people who aren't golf people. So if you tell someone, I got eight hole-in-ones, holes-in-ones, whatever that is, they're going to know what that means, and they're going to be extremely impressed. If you tell someone, I got an albatross, you are going to have to explain that to them. And once you get done explaining, maybe they'll be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But I like the shorter version of being like, I got eight holes-in-ones, so that's cooler to me. Yeah, it's essentially saying that non-golf people – are like they almost might say, "Oh, you play a lot of golf. Do you have a hole in one?" That's like the first question out of people's mouths, one hundred percent of the time. People ask me that all the time. Like people that are, "Oh, Riggs, you do the golf podcast stuff, right? Do you have a hole in one?" Like I don't know why the fuck people think about that all the time, but yeah. that's the first thing across their minds. It almost becomes then. It's almost simply a question of would you rather have a hole in one, not even eight, just a hole in one. I would rather have one hole in one than an albatross. The only reason I would say albatross is because the word albatross is awesome. Is so. Good. It's almost like when we got in a higher degree of trouble with our boss for boondoggling because he just loves the word boondoggle. It's true. I'm almost, I almost am inclined, I don't think I'm quite there yet, to prefer the double eagle because you can just call it an albatross, and that's such a sweet word. Let me ask you this. It yeah. is a sweet word. That's true. The boondoggle uh, correlation is spot on. Mm-hmm. You're Even with golf people, if we turned it around instead of non-golf people, are they more impressed by an albatross than a hole-in-one? Non-golf people or golf people? Golf people. I still think hole-in-one wins. I think there's technically a little bit more impressed because they know it's way more rare, but I don't think they necessarily care as much. I think they would all be in the same boat we are. We'd rather have a hole-in-one. Yeah, because it's just easier to talk about. Do you, How close have you gotten to a hole-in-one? Can I ask that? Not very because I'm not a great iron player. Yeah. Par threes are tough. I just, I'm, I, my iron play stinks. Have you ever been with someone when they got a hole-in-one? No. No. But I've been on the course and seen, uh, we were teeing off on like a hole, a couple holes over. And we like heard and saw the reaction of a guy get a hole in one. Okay, that's <laughs> that's close enough. Close enough. But no, I've never I've never seen one. I have never seen one either. I will say this: uh, my buddy Dane got one. Shout out to Dane. He listened to the podcast, and he said, uh, or no, he invited me to go golf. And this was a couple years ago, and I was too hungover or something like that. And he got one that round, so I missed out Whoa. on seeing one. I felt really bad. They said it was an awesome celebration while I was on my couch. How about this? I have seen an albatross. Get out. Yeah. See? In my group. Okay, so that kind of brings the question, like, would you rather see an albatross or would you rather see a hole-in-one? And the answer— I would probably rather— Well, no, because the person is just so excited for a hole-in-one. Well, and also, there's things— drinks. There's a thing connected with the hole-in-one where, like, an albatross, everybody's like, yeah, that was awesome. That's, like, incredibly rare. Hole-in-one, hey, you know what that is. It's great, and there's going to be drinks, a lot of drinks afterwards. Yeah, so my buddy, we were playing in a— it was a like a, a four man event, but it wasn't scramble. It was like it was best ball. You play your own ball, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, it was like a member one day member member, 
and he on a uh, par five that's like crazy. It's got this quirky like speed slot that's only like six yards wide that you can hit. Hit it way down the speed slot. He only had like 170 in, but it was a little downhill, so he hit like an eight iron. And you you could only see the top half of the flag. So he hit it, like, landed right behind the pin, but then it kind of disappears because, like, you can't see that bottom half of the pole. Yeah. We're like, yeah, it looks really good. Great shot, man. <laughs> so we drive up, and there's no ball near the hole, and we're like, hmm. Walk closer, you can see a ball mark, like, four or five feet behind the hole. Oh, yeah. And we're like, that's got to be it. He checks it. Sure enough, it's in the hole. So we did kind of get robbed of the celebration. Oh, yeah, you did. But it was still sweet. So it's crazy that I've seen one of those and not a hole in one. That is crazy. So I think the bottom line is, the albatross just doesn't – it doesn't have as much cultural significance. Yeah, even though it's more rare. Exactly. So that's tough. That's tough for uh, – And for this guy to have eight hole-in-ones, yeah, get out of here, that dude. That blows an albatross out of the water, I get guess. Get out of here. How, how, um, how significant do you think the diminishing returns are on your excitement level on each hole-in-one? Like, is the eighth one, you're like, whatever. Maybe for the person who's hitting it, there is, although I want to say even no to that, but I would imagine it's different – a collection of people each time that you do it and they're jacked up and they're jacked up so you probably ride that wave a little bit okay yeah because i know a couple guys at the club that i used to play at that have like a handful it's like every fucking like every couple months i feel like he's posting a picture on facebook oh another hole in one (laughs) all right dude Uh, let me ask you this since we're in the hole in one conversation my dad got a hole in one on a simulator (laughs) what do you think about that (laughs) swear to god no, doesn't count. Uh, yeah, see, we don't, yeah. We was but I would t- tell people that I got a hole in a simulator. I just wouldn't say I have a yeah, hole in one. Yeah, it was funny. It was at the local course uh, where we play all the time back in Cedar Rapids. And it happened on the simulator. And you're right, it's not the same as a real hole in one. But they do have a plaque on the wall. They put your name up there and they're like, you got a hole in one. Let me ask you this. Okay. I think all the time, because I, I, it doesn't happen much, but I used to play quite a bit by myself. I would just go out after work or something, play nine or 18 holes. My biggest fear would be getting a hole-in-one by myself. Yep. Would you tell anybody if you got one? Uh, go ahead, Sunshine. Sunshine? I don't think you can tell anybody. I feel like it's worthless. Just, like, you have no proof. I'll tell you Unless this. You take a video yeah, because then they might the just T-box. think that Otherwise, you're like, yeah. my mom's friend got a hole-in-one by herself, and she is hesitant every time she tells the story because she knows what we're going to say. Yeah. I wouldn't even tell anybody, and then maybe on my deathbed, I'd grab my brother and be like, come here, Kyle. By the way. You know, 2015. <laughs> it was a Tuesday. <laughs> I got a hole in one. It's tough. It's almost one of those things where you have to be like, you have to tell people before, like, you're not going to believe this. I know you're going to shit on me, but I played by myself and I got a hole in one. Yeah. I think I trust my friends enough where I would be like, all right, I believe you. It just sucks. That they, I On part three is when you play alone, I almost want to, like, shank it on purpose. No, when I hit a good one, I'm like, please don't go in because <laughs> I don't want this, like, it's an eternal dilemma that you have to have. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I think, yeah, you got to save those good shots for when you're out with a, with a group. So that's talking hole-in-ones versus albatrosses. This week we've got the Dean and DeLuca at uh, Colonial. Colonial is kind of a classic pendant for a long time. We posted on Foreplay today the Unreal video of Phil Mickelson when he canned <laughs> his putt on the 72nd hole to win at Colonial, and that guy heroically cannonballed. Immediately into the pot. One of the best videos you'll ever see. Just, that guy was so jacked up. And just the film makes it right when he makes it. The guy jumps in. Couldn't have been a better video. I want to, in my head, I want to think, he probably pre-planned it, but in my head, I want to think that he just got so caught up in the moment that he didn't know what he was going to do, so he just jumped in the water. It almost, it come, obviously he pre-planned it, but it comes off close enough to where you're like, eh, maybe he didn't. It's so like bang, bang. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was a, that's one of my favorite moments from the tourney. We do have Jordan Spieth, who is the defending champ, to keep a little bit of a trend going. He has gone miscut, miscut. Do you think he's is oh. he is he up? It's his turn to win now. You, th- you could say he's due. You could say he's due. He loves Texas. He's a Texas guy. Uh, we posted as well a picture on Insta today of him doing the hook'em with the uh, jacket and the right last year. Gave him the old hook'em. That's, That's a, a little, you know. I love that jacket. If we're being being honest. Yeah, we had kind of the talk after the RBC Heritage about Jack because they do the same type of jacket right after the Masters. Yeah. Are we enough removed now where we're pro jacket? Well, I remember if if I remember correctly on that podcast, I contradict myself you in like started, a two minute. You started anti jacket, by the end of it, you were pro jacket. And I hold that to this day. I'm still on that side of it because I think the more you, I like clothing being given out as a as an award as a trophy. Just you in general, yeah, as, just in general, like even for non golf stuff, like for drinking competitions or any sort of competition where they're at the end, you get to put on an article of clothing. And be like, I beat all you motherfuckers. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I um, I agree. I think in in real life, it's cooler than a trophy. Yeah, like not not, not tour life. I think with your buddies, it's cooler than a trophy. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I've got you got buddies that they'll play for like, you know, a, a jacket, or they'll play for like a cool, crazy hat, or something like that. That's like a crazy uh, personalized straw hat. Like on a weekend thing that they do once yeah. a year, something like that. Yeah, I think it's better than a trophy. Yeah, because when you get a trophy, you're gonna lug that thing around. At least like you can wear that around at the bars that night, and everybody can make fun of you or something. Yeah, and like whenever you bring it to like a house party with those buddies, where you're having who knows your little just, cocktail party, you bring your fucking hat. You're stunting on them because yeah. you got you got the win and they didn't. Yeah, you're like, what's up? This is my sweet hat. You can't, it's weird to bring your trophy to like a party. Yeah, you'd be a fucking weirdo. But you can that. wear your hat. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so I'm still pro. Articles of clothing as uh, trophies. So we got the Dina DeLuca this weekend. Keep your eye out for who's going to wear the cool jacket. It was Spieth last year. Apparently he's due based on the miscut situation. Did Catfather give you any picks or is, are you still in the dark? No, I'm kind of in the dark. I I do have another guy who sends me picks the day after we do the podcast every week. That's uh, That seems like a guy who's in it for the love of the game and doesn't want the shine. I think I like him better than Catfather. Well, he sends me these DMs like... I don't know if he expects me to put him in the podcast, but I'm like, dude, the podcast's been up for like eight hours. Revisionist history, how did he pick for the Byron Nelson? Do you remember? I don't check. <laughs> I just know that he sends them to me. You don't even look at him. No, I basically, my first insta- or my first rule of thumb is I just, I look for persistence. So once he gets six or seven weeks in, then I'll start looking at his picks. I don't really care how he does right now. Okay. I care if he's persistent. Oh, well, see, now I don't like that you admitted that on the podcast, because now he is going to be persistent. Is he, though? Persistence isn't necessarily... Something that you can just like get motivated by. Usually, you're either persistent or you're not. Fair enough. I guess we'll find out. Anyways, I think that's this week's show. We went a little long with Kip Henley because he was so good. Also, we're in between the Byron Nelson and the Dean and the Luca. So, who really gives a shit? Yeah, we'd rather talk to a caddy and get interesting stories than go super deep on the tourneys. Uh huh. I think that's all we got. I think it is too. Enjoy the tourney. Enjoy the Dean and the Luca. Go Spieth. Hit it hard. Hit it hard.